party there. Ain't nothing but against the party. Oh shit. You done fucked up, man. You done put two of America's most wanted in the same motherfucking place at the same motherfucking time. Y'all niggas about to feel this. Break out the champagne glasses and motherfucking condoms. Have one on us, There's something really, really like cozy about like NBA League Pass because they'll show you local broadcasts. So it'll be like San Antonio's local broadcast and it'll be like like, I'm Tim Gunderson, and I stand behind every single car I sell. And I'm like, <laughs> and it's just like, what the hell are you talking about, man? And, like, you see, like, weird local commercials. I'm sure we get local commercials here, too, yeah. from, like, Vegas shows. I don't really watch local TV here, but, like... Carpet outlet oh, Every day is a sale day. No one can beat us. No, no one can join us. Not even God will dare to stop us. <laughs> Okay. Stop and compare. We don't care. Come into Carpet Outlet Plus. Every day is a sale day. That is a good jingle. The fact that we can remember it and I got to add my own words to it. Yeah. Yeah. They need to call me about that god line. <laughs> god damn. But, uh, yeah. That's pretty good. I really, really dig that. So, um... Dude, yeah, so I love those local commercials from San Antonio. Like, there's, like, that one uh, called, like, Gun Dealership, where, like, the dude is, like, is super so obsessed with, like, guns, and he, like, shoots a car. He's like, we won't sell you lemons here! And he, like, turn and shoot a car, and be like, <laughs> start shooting, like, an old beat-up car. So, like, I highly recommend NBA League Pass, although you get local Lakers here, so, yeah, like, you don't have to why pay for it. Yeah. That's a good um, thing about being a Laker fan. The, yeah. The only good thing about being a Laker fan um, right now. What about Lonzo Ball? Fuck that fool. I gotta talk about guns some more. Yeah, dude, I, I'll try to find you some gun commercials. Also, Waterbury commercials always feel like really fucking like cozy to me. I'm like, oh, fuck, I wish you had a Waterbury here. Like, dude, I want to try that so bad though, because I feel like I've tried every great California burger, like, yeah. except for Hodad's, like in San Diego. That's like my next mission. I'm burnt. I was in San Diego and I didn't get to try it because my sister was like, "Ugh, a little gross." So we went somewhere else. Fuck that. Yeah. We're going. But with that said, welcome to episode 24. What's up, y'all? So this episode, we're gonna talk about the deaths of Tupac and Biggie. Yes, we are, and I'm and, pretty excited about it. Yeah, it's a very, it's a very special episode. But before we get into that, uh, I would like to shout out. Eli Sirota from the Not So Crazy Podcast with Blizzard the Wizard. He actually wrote us a fucking theme song, dude. Yeah, I know. Pretty fucking dope-ass theme song, too. Dude, it touched my fucking soul. Like, you know, like, the first time, like, you hear Celine Dion's My Heart Will Go On? Yeah. Like, it hit me, like, that hard, dude. Like, so, it's not on this podcast yet. I'll probably put it on, like, next week's episode or something. But, yeah, this shit runs hard, dog. Yeah. I like how he doesn't believe that I'm a real person or something like that. (laughs) (laughs) I think he just thinks this is you, and you do both of our voices. Yeah. I don't know. Which I probably could. Like, I'm not talented. It's pretty cool. I kind of dig the song, though, so I'm excited for other people to hear it, but probably on the next podcast. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. But this podcast, I'm just going to pirate a bunch of Tupac and Biggie Oh, yeah. You got to do Tupac and Biggie on this podcast. Yeah. Uh, Just really quickly, I did want to do that thing about um, uh, autismspeaks.org. So, on this podcast, every time I cuss, I don't know if, unless I don't cuss that much, then I'll do every time I or Jacob cuss, uh, I'll donate a dollar to Autism Speaks. 
Every just, time he says the N-word, he'll donate a thousand dollars. Yeah, and this is a two fucking biggie podcast, so it might happen. You have to stick around and find out, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so with that said, everybody, enjoy the show. Who shot ya? Separate the weak from the opsa. Leap hard to creep them Brooklyn streets. It's on, nigga. Fuck all that bickering beef. I can hear sweat trickling down your cheek. Your heartbeat sound like Sasquatch feet. Thundering, shaking the concrete. Then the shit stop when I fall the plot. Neighbors call the cops. I'm in the room. 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 Uh, have you ever seen the movie Lost Highway? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, David Fincher? Uh, David Lynch. No, Dave, yeah, I do the same thing, dude. Dude, I do, I happens to be all the time. But yeah, um, yeah, like, I like the way their house looks. Like, they're, it has, like, a very, like, dark vibe to it. And I'm like, that's how my room feels right now. Like, it's, like, it's creepy in there. I might as well light some incense or something in there. See what happens. Burn some sage or something. Okay. Anyways. Yeah. So, you want to talk about the, uh, getting shot? Yeah, let's talk about getting shot. Okay. You want to lead it up? I got it. I'll let you ah, okay. start it up. So I guess this episode, we're going to be talking about the deaths of Tupac and Biggie. And Biggie Shakur. Biggie Shakur. Uh-huh. Yeah. Dude, so I guess you wanted to start it off by talking about like our generation. Like, yeah. like everybody knows where they were like when Tupac and Biggie got shot. Yeah. It's kind of like our parents or, or grandparents. Like, where were you when JFK got shot? Yeah. Like, I remember exactly where I was when I found out Tupac got shot. Uh-huh. And then exactly where I was when Biggie got shot. Because it kind of happened, like, in, like in the same way. Yeah. Like, so, both times, like or both instances, I should say, um, when I found out Tupac got shot and died, I was watching Ren and Stimpy on MTV. Uh-huh. Like, because you know how, like, there was, like, the naughty version? Okay, there was, like, the regular, like, snick version of, like, Ren and Stimpy. It was a little bit more G-rated. Yeah. And then, like... The MTV version of fucking Ren and Stimpy was like a little bit more raunchy, like Power Toast Man would like grind cinnamon up when his butt cheeks or whatever. And like, yeah. So it was a little bit more, you know, Beavis and Butthead or whatever. But I remember like scrolling across like the bottom of the screen both times watching Ren and Stimpy, Tupac Amaru Shakur dies. Da 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 da. Notorious B.I.G. Christopher Wallace died dead at age 24 or 25 or whatever. And I was just like, oh yeah. my God. And it was like one of those like instances like 9 11 kind of thing where like the whole. To me, like, your whole world changes after that. So. Yeah. I honestly, like, when Tupac died, I didn't know about it until, like, a few days later. Really? Yeah, I was... I didn't really watch TV, and I wasn't really connected to, like, music at all, because I was a little kid. Because it happened on a Friday. Yeah, I think it was until, like, Monday the next day that, um... Because were you going to Noble by then? Yeah. Yeah, because I remember that, like, that Monday, that's all anybody ever talked about. Um, or from, like... 8 a.m. in the morning when school started to like 2.30 when school got out. That's all we talked about. So you know Ross, right? Oh, yeah. You know, obviously. Shout out Ross. Ross Calderon. He's the one that told me. He's like, oh, man, my favorite rapper was killed. And he's talking about Tupac. Uh-huh. And I was just like, oh, shit. Like, I was just like, that's that's crazy. Like, to, to me, it was like, obviously, like, that, he was the best rapper. I don't know if it was like established, but in my head, he was the best rapper yeah. like, of all time. I, I felt like of all time. In that time period, and I was like, "That's fucking crazy. He's dead." I remember thinking, "Like that's so fucking wild." And so, like, if it, it, it felt really close to home, like it felt like, "Man, that's like 
that's like my dude. Like you killed my dude or something. Mm-hmm. You know, like he was a West Coast guy. I felt like a West Coast person. To me, it was almost like the equivalent of like finding out Shaq died or something like that. It's tough, dude. It was like a tough, tough thing. And then, and I don't want to get too ahead of myself, but in this time period, for some reason, like thinking back at it, I feel like they were like they were killed like a week apart, but apparently not. They were killed like six months apart. Or yeah. Something. And Tupac, he was killed in September. Biggie, I believe, was like uh, March. March of the next year. Yeah. So I was just like, oh, that's crazy. For some reason, I remember it being like a week later. Yeah. That's fucking weird. Fucking Mandela effect. But I was just like, all right, whatever. <laughs> like, anyways, yeah. Dude, research, honestly, like, I I was telling you, like, before we started recording, like, research for this one has been completely different than research for all the other ones. Because for normally, I just show up and start talking and drink my coffee and, like, bullshit my way through things this one there was like so much that like i wasn't expect i I definitely was not expecting like especially tupac's side of the story like tupac's murder and all that Uh just not expecting it but i don't know you want to well same thing to piggyback off that dude like yeah like usually like if if i have to research a topic my mind will like if i don't automatically know anything about it like my mind will start like veering off into other things like oh yeah my pg e bill is like due in two weeks I should probably get online and pay that right now. Like, yeah. I'll be reading stuff. I probably have, like, some form of, like, adult a- uh, ADHD or fucking uh, dyslexia or something like that. But this one, like, my mind didn't veer at all. Like, it, like there's a day, like, I work from home, and I just spent all day, like, I finished all my work early. I probably shouldn't be, like, putting this on official record, but I finished I all my work early. And I just watched, like, YouTube videos and, like, looked up anything I could, like, on, on both of these cases. Yeah. And, like, it was just enthralling. It was, like, watching, like... Uh, Game of Thrones or whatever and then seeing like the Red Wedding for the first time yeah. like, it was just like it was that enthralling so especially because like Tupac for me growing up like like that was like a hero like everything he he rapped about like even before he got to Death Row like when he started getting like more party oriented or whatever like he spoke to that like um, growing up like in a you know single parent home and stuff like that you know that, that was me you know yeah. so it's just like when you hear he died like like to me like that was the equivalent of like having like a grandparent die or like a, a a close friend or relative die. Like it was like the first like big death that ever happened to me. Like I just remember bawling my eyes out, like crying myself to sleep. And I think I was Damn. only like ten or eleven years old, like when that happened. But like it, was, it hit me hard, man. <laughs> and I'm ashamed to say this though, but like when going back to that, like at Noble, like when uh, you know everybody was talking about it, like that following Monday. Like, everybody was like, you know Biggie killed him, right? Oh, he hated him. It was Biggie. Fuck. And then, like, for, like, a long time, for, like, a good couple of years, like, I was ashamed of it. Like, I was just like, good. I'm glad Biggie died, too, because he's he was the one responsible for it. Yeah. And, like, now looking back on it and doing even more research, I was like, Biggie had nothing to do with it. Like, he never once responded yeah. back. Like, he was always the bigger man. And... Something like I, I got a little bit more respect for Biggie, you know. Yeah, I would say normally I come into any topic and I'm like, I already know a lot about that. Mm-hmm. I would say a lot of my like views and like what the conspiracy, all of a sudden, like everything kind of switched on me because mm-hmm. it's, I, I, I don't know. I, I think a lot of the, the origins of this is like Suge Knight. I think it's the like Ooh, BET yeah. Music Awards. Well, let's, let's go back with this. Um, Let's start because there's there's four names that are you know the big characters in this. There's of course Tupac and Biggie, mm-hmm. and then their mentors, which is you know Puff Daddy mm-hmm. and Suge Knight. Yeah, 
It all starts, okay, with Puff Daddy and Suge Knight and Valletta Wallace, Biggie's mom. She even says it in the documentary Murder Rap. Mm -hmm. She said, all of this happened where, you know, my son and Tupac died over some bullshit that is between, you know, Shonda Combs and Suge Knight. So it all starts with um, some award show in Atlanta where one of Suge Knight's um, associates is killed by one of uh, P. Diddy's associates. Yeah. And so since then, you know, they have like this big beef. And that's where you see that famous uh, Source Awards footage where Suge Knight, you know, gets up on there and basically clowns on Puff Daddy. Like, if you don't want executive producer all up in the videos. Damn, death the videos. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, then it's like a whole big back and forth thing where all the, like, New York is booing all the death row people. And Snoop Dogg gets up there and is like, the East Coast ain't got no love with Dr. You know, Snoop Dogg. honestly, when you watch that... Snoop Dogg has a lot, a lot of blame on him for doing yeah. that. Like he's, he's literally the one that takes it over the edge. If you Puff Daddy comes out and says like, "Oh, I just want to congratulate Death Row. You guys are doing your thing." You know, like there's no animosity here. I'm a man of like positive energy and mm-hmm. and like, yeah, like it could have ended right there. But Snoop Dogg really takes it to like the next level. What like, is that thing that people like uh, push? Like that little uh, air pusher, like that goes like in the fireplace. Oh, I don't know what you're talking about. Those little like blowers, the little yeah, yeah, those like blowers that like fan the flames or something. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly like Snoop at that point. Oh, isn't he like holding a cane or something like a baseball bat during this? <laughs> I thought it was like an umbrella for some reason. I don't know. Like he just looks like really fucking angry. Like all of a sudden, like it could have ended right then and there after Puff Daddy's speech. But I think okay, you got okay when you look at okay Puff Daddy. Like when you look at his like VH1 behind the music or whatever. Like he he came from like like I want to say money, but he was very like upper middle class. Yeah. So he's not a gangster. He's just like he's just like a a regular dude or whatever. Yeah. And then you got Suge Knight and Snoop Dogg. Who are like certified felons and gangsters? You got blood and a crip or whatever, fucking former drug dealer or whatever. They're gangsters, you know what yeah. I'm saying? They're gonna get there and they're gonna do gangster things. Like you poke that tiger, you're gonna get you. The tiger's gonna come back and claw your ass. Yeah, I would specifically Suge Knight, man. There's like oh, some yeah. demons in in like that, that is guy. a personification of evil. <laughs> yeah, dude, that is a big angry man, and like. Uh, I would say, like, this is the same time period. Had had uh, Dr. Dre had already left Death Row at this point. He was on the fence because I think at this time, like, Dr. Dre, you know, he had already been making music or whatever. And I think he was in the process of... There's, like, there's going to be a lot of court cases we're going to be talking about here. He was in the process of his um, trial, I guess, when he uh, put hands on that female reporter, D. Barnes. Yeah. And so he was kind of like trying to clean up his act, his image or whatever. So he's kind of like very hands off about everything. He's like, hey, I'm just a motherfucker who does like all the music. Like, you know, I, I ain't yeah. no mouthpiece. I ain't no rapper. I just I just make music. And so he was going to go to jail soon or whatever. So that's why but, okay. you don't hear a lot from Dr. Dre during this period because he actually goes to jail during did, a lot of this. Did the chronic already come out at this time? Oh, or? yeah. Because I think the source awards for this was like 94 or something like that. Okay. And Tupac, okay, you got Tupac who's slowly skyrocketing up to the, um, up the charts or whatever. So he starts with Digital Underground um, as a backup dancer. Then he gets put on one of their tracks. They like it. He scores a record deal. He puts out his first record, Tupacalypse Now, which is kind of like a public enemy kind of album. It's very not death row material. Or very like politically charged or whatever. Very conscious. Um, puts out his uh, second um, album, Strictly For My N-Words. <laughs> I'm going to yeah. say that word. Yeah. 
ain't trying to donate a hundred dollars yeah. right now. But um, <laughs> <laughs> so he puts out that album, then he puts out Me Against the World, and you know he's he hits number one. Like he, he's this hot rapper. He's on In Living Color or whatever. But he's kind of doing this all on his own. So not, let's stay with 1994. So Tupac has a bunch of uh, court cases going against him um, that I didn't know all about yet until I did my research on. Yeah. I just kind of knew about it. One of them was, you know, he got you know charged with shooting at two off-duty Atlanta police police officers. We can get into that at another time, but he, that kind of gets dismissed. But that's a whole big legal um, thing. He's getting sued by a family because a gun registered in his name drops to the ground and by one of his bodyguards. They drop it, and the bullet the discharge hits a, a toddler across the street and kills him. Mm-hmm. So he's dealing with that, and then he's dealing with. Um, a sexual assault charge. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I don't know what the, the, the absolute real story of this is. It kind of seems like a little bit of a uh, a fan, you know, just, you know, exaggerating. But maybe I'm just biased to Tupac. So I don't, I don't want to take a side on this because I don't know what happened. Is this from like, like a backstage thing? Like something that happened at a concert? Because I well, don't really know these stories that well. Well, because I don't really want to spend too much time talking about it because... It doesn't really, not too relevant, but I guess the story on the, the sexual assault one, because I guess there's a lot of sexual assault going on, so might as well touch talk yeah. about it. I guess the thing is, is like, okay, uh, he, he did a show somewhere, and he invited this lady backstage. She gave him head. She, he hit All him right. up. Yeah. <laughs> gave him that bomba. And so he invited her back like four days later to his hotel or whatever, and I guess they have sex, but then they... Also have sex with his friends, whatever. Because uh-huh. I guess he lived by that mantra too. It ain't no fun if the homies can't have them. Damn. So that's Tupac's account of the story. Like, hey, she was you know a very promiscuous young woman who just wanted to have fun, and that was the end of it for me. And then her side of the story was, yeah, you know, she sucked his dick, you know, at the club that one time. He invited her up to his room for a massage, and she thought that was gonna be it. But then. Him and all of his friends, like, gang raped her. Oh, damn. Yeah, and so that's her side of the story. And then I guess the resolve of it is he gets convicted of um, sexual molestation because he gets a lot of the charges dropped against him. Um, and so he's he goes to jail for one and a half to four and a half years, right? Yeah. That's, that's his uh, sentence. And before he gets sentenced, he gets shot at a recording studio in New York. And this is where Biggie and Tup- uh, Biggie and Puffy come into it. Now, yeah. at this time, Tupac and Biggie are actually friends, and I'm sure everybody's seen that picture of Tupac and Biggie, um, you know, with yeah. bandanas on, looking all hard and shit. Yeah. And Biggie actually- was uh, his opening act on his tour. Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, a lot of the producers that were on Biggie's first album, uh, Ready to Die, a lot of those producers were on Tupac's previous albums. Like mm-hmm. if you look at the production credits, like almost verbatim during that time period. Those are the same people Tupac was messing with. So he was kind of like a mentor before Puff Daddy at this time. So yeah. like he was somebody in his life actively trying to help uh, Biggie. Yeah. And so the story goes from Tupac's side of it is, you know, he's recording in this recording studio. Puffy and Biggie are like two floors up ahead of him. And then all of a sudden the recording studio gets robbed. Tupac gets robbed and shot four times, uh, robbed of all of his jewelry except some fancy watch or something like that. 
And so Tupac's account of it is, is he heard, he hears it's an associate of, um, Puff Daddy. I kind of forget his name. I want to say it's like Jimmy Henchman or something like that. Uh-huh. Who like later on down the line and gets convicted of a conspiracy to murder or somebody from, from somebody from the G unit click from 50 cent or whatever. Um, but Tupac was like, okay, I keep hearing that Puff Daddy, this is Puff Daddy's dude that set this up. And for whatever reason, I don't know what Puff Daddy would have got out of it. Jealousy because, you know, Tupac was advising to uh, Biggie and he didn't want that. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But Tupac felt that Biggie and Puffy knew about this and they knew that, you know, there was somebody coming to rob the place. And cause you see in the footage, the MTV footage, like, you know, the recording studio, there's all this police tape. They're leading people down the stairs and out of the building. You see Tupac gets stretchered out. And then, you know, right after that, you see Puffy and Biggie come out. And so that's Pac's version of the story. And that's why you hear all this venom and animosity since then. So the next day, Tupac shows up into court and he's in a wheelchair and he gets sentenced to jail. And he goes to, I believe, Rikers and he does eight months in prison. Now he's appealing this sentence. You know, he's like, you know what? I was raised by a single mom. You look at all my, uh, you know, my, my music. It's nothing but uplifting, you know, black women. I would do, no, I would never do anything that would, you know, you know, do anything to hurt, you know, a young black woman or whatever. Yeah. And so, like, he's appealing this. He's losing his appeals or whatever. So he's going to do some time, a year and a half to almost four and a half years in prison. And, you know, he spends eight months in there, and that's all he's doing. He's, he's just he's just he's boiling over. And I think Vibe, they did an interview with Tupac, and that's just the majority of that interview is just how he believes uh, Biggie and Puffy set him up to get robbed and get shot. And um, he's just stewing on this. And all the while, he's reading books. He's getting more pissed off because that's all he has is time. And he's reading uh, The Art of War. And then he's reading things by the philosopher, the Italian philosopher uh, Machiavelli, mm-hmm. which we all know he goes and takes uh, the persona of later on down the line. Yeah. And he just becomes like this different animal. Because when you look at his last album before he went to jail, Me Against the World, it's very introspective. And to me, it's probably the most beautiful rap album of all time it's a certified five-star classic and then you look at the album he made when he got in death row it's a complete opposite mm-hmm. it's like day and night like there's not it's like almost not even the same person so backtrack a little bit should you know he's going back and forth in the media with puffy puffy you know kind of trying to deflect it but at the same time it's just like okay i gotta say some stuff and so about this same time biggie he releases his B-side called Who Shot You? Mm-hmm. And Tupac, he thinks it's directed at him because there's a couple of suspect lines in there um, where you can take it as that. Like, it's Biggie saying, okay, I'm the one that set this up. But I guess when you fact check it, he recorded this song well before Tupac ever got shot. Yeah. And so that kicks off the Biggie and Tupac beef. And so when... Suge hears that, you know, Tupac has beef with Biggie, who's the protege of the guy he's got beef with. He goes to, he goes to the prison where Tupac's at and he says, I'll bail you out of jail, but you got to sign the death row, a three album deal. Mm -hmm. And so Suge fronts some money to get Tupac out and he's basically the newest member of Death Row. And that's where you get like California Love and all that stuff. Yeah, that was like the first song he recorded. That was like a thing that like 
Dr. Dre talked about how, like, right out of jail, he, like, heard it because he was working on it for his album. And he's like, no, I need this. You got to give me this song. And so, like, that was... I guess he wrote it, like, within an hour. Yeah, like, that was the first thing that he wrote. Dude, there's, like, some crazy stuff when I was watching his, like, footage of it. I guess he, like, recorded, like, three songs a day. Mm -hmm. And then he's like, I don't even care. I'll just start freestyling. And then the producer will come with the beat later. I don't even care. I'll just start rapping really quick. And, like, yeah, his work ethic was crazy. But, um... But yeah, so like, not to like backtrack a little bit, but like leading up to this, you know what though, there is this song, I don't know if you've ever heard the song Play a Hater by Biggie, where it's, a, where it's basically he's talking about like robbing someone, breaking in somewhere and like stealing their jewelry mm-hmm. and robbing them. And then um, I do think that that song is totally directed at, at Tupac. That's like on Life After Death. Yeah, that's Life After Death. Yeah, yeah, that's well after that. I think that probably was like a slight... You know, back because at this time Tupac had already released like Hit 'Em Up, and I think yeah. Hit 'Em Up Two was already out at this yeah. point. So it's just like, after someone says they fucked your wife, like you gotta kind of respond. Back, yeah, you know. But so. I will say this: so like going to like now to like the the night of the Tyson fight, like going up to that time period. This is a time period where like everybody that was like talking about Tupac around this time period was saying he didn't want to go. He was like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to go to Las Vegas. I just wanted to keep recording songs. Because mm-hmm. not- the rumor was that the reason why he was recording so much material is because he had that three-album deal. Yeah. And All Eyes on Me, the album that he released, like, literally, like, two months later, th- that was, like, hip-hop's first double album. Like, yeah. like legit, like, actual double album. It was a compilation of anything. It was, like, original music, double album. And they said, okay, that fulfilled two of the albums. And then uh, the Machiavelli album, that was his third um, obligation. But he was trying to record as much music as possible because he didn't know if he was going to lose his appeal or not and have to go back to jail. Yeah. So the reason why he had all he was doing all that is because, one, he didn't know if he was going to go back to jail. And, two, he wanted to satisfy um, his three-album deal because, at this time, Tupac didn't need Death Row. Mm-hmm. He was already a number one rapper before Death Row. This, to me, Tupac was like the Kevin Durant of the hip-hop game at this time. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like, he had already gone to the finals and won the MVP. He was just put on a championship team. Yeah. So, there's, like, this whole thing going on where, um, this is when, uh, Dr. Dre already kind of wanted to leave and he wanted to start Aftermath. Mm-hmm. And there was, like, the word around the campfire was that Tupac also wanted to leave. And yep. maybe leave with him and, like, start their own record label or start his own record label. And, like, there was even, like, a rumor going around that he wanted to call, like, Machiavelli Records or something like that. And, oh, like, no. Yeah, when you look at the, the, the Machiavelli CD, you look, you open it up. I think the reissue doesn't have it, but the original release of it, and this is why I think it went out of print because you couldn't find it for a while until they remastered it. It even said that, too, Machiavelli Records coming uh-huh. soon. Yeah, so, like, there was, like, this whole thing where, like, Suge was, like, this dude's gonna leave me, and, like, he's my cash cow. There's also, like, he was pretty mad at Suge because, I guess, Suge owed him, like, $3 million at this time period. More than that, dude. Yeah, and, like, his mom, like, so, like, Tupac's mom was, like, hey, you're broke as fuck, like, you need to get paid. Like, there's at least $3 million, like, that are just sitting there, and he hasn't given you that. So to backtrack a little bit, and I... I want to get to the shooting, but like I want to set up the scene a little bit. Um, Suge, if you remember, like if you watch Straight Outta Compton, that's how he got Dr. Dre out of his deal with Easy E because Easy E was doing this that you know he would like you know give him a couple thousand dollars in a car or whatever, and that would be it. But Suge, and then Easy would own like all the rights to the music. 
kind of like what Axl Rose did to the rest of the Guns N' Roses members. And that's what Suge Knight was doing. All of his artists, Snoop Dogg, Dr. Dre, The Dog Pound, Lady of Rage, RBX, everybody. He would have them record all this music, and then he would legally own all that, that music. And just to keep them satisfied, you know, like, oh, okay, here's a Mercedes Benz or whatever for your hard work. Here's, here's a couple thousand dollars or whatever. But in reality, that music was selling millions, 10 million, going diamond or whatever. And so he was profiting all off this. He was owning all the rights to all this and all the publishing rights to it. So he was making money off of their work. And he was doing the same thing to Tupac. And Tupac is a very smart individual. Mm-hmm. The rumor is that he was starting to catch on to all this. And that was the second reason, like I said, he was trying to get out of that deal. So that way he can continue on with all of his music yeah, and to start to profit. Because Tupac's mom even said that he died a broke man yeah, with nothing in his bank account. So that was one of the, like, the major things like leading up to that fight where they're going to go see the fight in Vegas. And Tupac doesn't want to go. Eventually he convinces him like, no, let's go, man. It'll be fun. Let's go. And... Really quickly, like, I don't know how many fucking conspiracy theories are tied to Mike Tyson fights. But there's, like, for some reason, there's, like, a ton of Mike Tyson fight conspiracies that are just, like, from people that are potentially time-traveled. And you can spot them in the crowd to this. Oh, to like, yeah. Isn't there, like, a dude with, like, a cell phone? Like yeah, a- it's like, a dude recording the fight on a cell phone. Yeah. Yeah, there's, like, all these weird conspiracy theories surrounding Mike Tyson. But this is just to another one now. So, I'm sure everybody knows he goes to the fight. He gets into, like, that brawl in, like, the lobby of the hotel room, of the hotel that the fight took place in, because he was about to go perform somewhere else. Like, yeah, at, at Shug's Club. Yeah. 662. So, like, yeah. So, he's about to go perform. He gets in a fight with Orlando Anderson. Like, Orlando Anderson tries stealing his chain. No, no, no. What happened was, I guess, a week before the fight, um, at some Foot Locker or whatever, uh, Orlando Anderson and... I guess a couple other Crips, they steal a death row chain from somebody. It wasn't even a rapper or anybody. It was just an employee at death row. Like, I guess they all rolled around with death row chains or whatever. Mm-hmm. So he steals a chain from him. And Suge spots him in the lobby. He goes, there's that motherfucker that stole that chain. And Tupac goes up to him. He goes, are you from the South Side? Which is South Side Crip, which is where um, Orlando Henderson was from. And he goes, yeah. And starts. he punches him in the face. And then all of a sudden, everybody in that entourage just starts uh, jumping on Orlando. Yeah. There's a rumor going around though. Well, like there's this whole one of the one of the first. Well, we'll get to that. We'll just remember the chain. Just put the chain as a footnote. You know, they go down the street, and then eventually, I think it's a white car pulls up next to him, and that's when like the big shooting happens. Mm-hmm. And this is kind of where all the conspiracies start taking hold. So like now that we've established, Tupac was killed. Yeah, and Suge Knight is in the car with him. There's like two dudes in the back seat, and then there's a car behind that was like a bodyguard from Suge Knight's bodyguard. Uh, it's Tupac's bodyguard. Oh no, he's a death row employee. Well, he's a death row employee, but um, it's uh ah shit, I wrote his name down. Oh yeah, Frank Alexander. It's Tupac's uh, bodyguard, and you're right about that too because because he writes a book called Got Your Back, mm-hmm. and uh, Frank said. After the fight, everybody went back to Suge's house uh, to get cleaned up and uh, dressed to go to Suge's club. Yeah. And Suge pulls Frank to the side and he goes, hey, man, don't worry about riding with me and Pac. I'm just going to ride with Pac alone, okay? Yeah. And he goes, I want you to be in the car behind us because a lot of people didn't know this either is Tupac was engaged 
uh, to Quincy Jones's daughter, mm-hmm. and she was in that entourage as well. And so Frank was writing with Tupac's fiance at this time, Quincy Jones's daughter, and um, Suge and Pac were in the, the front car. And that's when he gets he's doing a shot. Yeah. So that the second car though follows the shooter's car, right? Yeah. And so like eventually gets away because it turns like the second shooting gets away. Um, so like, I don't know if you're ready to get into some of the conspiracy. Oh yeah. So the first like big major one is that, uh, Puffy had like the stain in his head. Anyone that can get me in a death row chain gets a million dollars. Cause the rumor was Puffy on the West coast was hiring Crips to do security for him. Yeah. And, um, and so, like, that's, like, the first, like, big major one that a lot of people were like, aha, Puffy, like, set him up. Like, Puffy did the thing. And that ties into, um, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing this right. Keffy D or... Oh, Keffy D, yeah. D. Which is Orlando Anderson's uncle. Uncle, yeah. So, like, that's his uncle. And um, he, he comes out and he says, like, yeah, Puffy hired me. Puffy hired me to go kill uh, Tupac and Suge. And um, and the whole thing with um, Orlando Anderson, or like Baby Lane or whatever, because yeah. I guess we call him Baby Lane. His gangster name. Yeah, his gangster name is Baby Lane. Um, so like, he was just saying that that was just kind. Of, he wasn't even aware that that was happening. Like apparently, like he they're at at a hotel in Las Vegas, like cooking dinner when he gets like word like, "Hey yo, uh, Baby Lane just got like beat up by Tupac and like all these like Death Row dudes." Like you gotta come. Like we, we're doing this now. Like this, this is happening now. This yeah. is happening right now. We gotta go find Tupac because it was like a a, a bounty, basically saying, "I'll give a million dollars." Supposedly, this is what Puffy said. I'll give a million dollars to anyone who can give me. Um, oh no, I'll give you. I'll give a certain thousand amount of dollars for anyone that can snatch a death row chain off of a death row uh, employee or rapper or whatever. And I'll give a million dollars to anyone that can kill Tupac or Suge Knight or yeah. both of them. Yeah, and so I guess this is something that had been said months before, and you tell a gangster gangster stuff, he's gonna do gangster things. Yeah, and so I guess it all coincidentally fell into place where uh, Orlando got jumped, and his uncle just so happened to be um, in town as well. And so like the whole thing, I guess it's like this room full of like full on like Southside Crips are hanging out in this hotel room. And they're all like, dude, you're you're like, is his little cousin? Your little cousin? Uh, it's his nephew. So. His like little nephew just got jumped by like Suge Knight and all these dudes. And like, I think they use the word artillery. Like, we got a room full of artillery here. Let's go get them right now. So the story goes that they drive around Las Vegas trying to get to that award show. They go to the award show or like the club. Yeah. Sorry, the club that he's gonna perform at. They go to the, the club that he's going to perform at, and they're just like... They're waiting there for a while, and nobody shows nobody up. Nobody shows up, so then they go get liquor, and then <laughs> when, when they go get liquor, uh, they drive by, like, the... I think it's a BMW that they're in. Yeah, because Tupac's like, hanging out of the sunroof, uh, hollering at some... Some girl. He's, like, making it very public, like, you know, so he's, like, talking to these girls, and then they're like, holy shit, that's Tupac right there. They bust to you. They bust to you, go after him, pull up next to him, and apparently, like, Tupac and everyone in the other car wasn't even paying attention to them because they were all talking to those girls on the, in the other car. Which, by the way, I want to point out, one of the interviews interviewed those two girls. Oh, there's some 
ugly motherfucking girls. I don't know why Tupac was wasting so much energy really? trying to get them. I I didn't see anything on. I was actually Pause trying to find po- interviews on those girls. I couldn't find any. Pause this podcast. Look it up on YouTube. It exists. Like literally, like salt and pepper look more delightful than these Damn. two. Hey like, man, it was dark. Yeah, <laughs> you don't know. You don't know. Was that a racist joke? No, it was just nighttime. No. They probably had liquor in them. Different things. Yeah. Anyways, uh, testosterone. Testosterone's flowing. Yeah. Hell of a, hell so, of a so that's the first. I'm trying to like just make sure I'm not. Oh, he's. They all cited the song "Hit 'Em Up." Like "Hit 'Em Up" was like the thing. Apparently, that's the thing that like um, that they said like that shit can't fly. Like he wrote "Hit 'Em Up" and he's like clearly talking about like fucking Faith Evans and yeah. like. And it's just like that was like not cool with with Puffy. Like it was just like this is my boy. You don't talk shit about my boy. And like because at this time him. period, like Puffy is thinking he's gangster. Like he he doesn't start being all like Blink One Eighty Two like good guy Puffy until after he gets like a gun charge like four years later. Remember yeah, with Shine J Lo or whatever? They're yeah, yeah, yeah. J Lo at a nightclub in L or New York. And that one rapper Shine was with him, and yeah. like they he almost goes to jail. And he's like, I don't go to jail i'm a good guy and so yeah. puffy turns so this is like pretty like good guy puffy where he thinks he's a he's a gangster too so. yeah he's like trying to totally live up to the gangster persona and you know and so is tupac and that's one of the things yeah. that i wanted to to mention is like this is tupac grew up like going to an acting school he went to like he was just like a really like there's an interview with his acting coach and his acting coach is like man this guy is so good like beyond belief good like he you he could went, do Shakespeare. Yeah, he was talking about how he would do Shakespeare. There's videos of him, like, where he would just, like, The Godfather and The Untouchables were, like, his two favorite movies, and he would constantly be, like, acting out scenes from those to the point where, like, that's the reason why Suge refers to uh, as uh, Death Row as a Untouchable Death Row, or whatever, uh-huh. because they were such big fans of that. And, like, and you see that in the album art, too. Yeah, so, like, the whole thing about it is, like, apparently like that's the that's the persona like the godfather thing where he would he would refer to him as the dawn and like all these things like that like he wanted to like live that and if you look at like the way the, uh tupac was dressing he was dressing like very like italian mobster looking mm-hmm. type character so to him it almost looked like he was just playing the character like he was just, like, i'm just a gangster when in reality he wasn't he was an actor he was like trying to sell this persona of i'm a gangster mm-hmm. when and it's all, and it all stems back to his first shooting that he carried around this, this vitriol around that he was just so pissed off about what had happened earlier at yeah. that recording studio. And he felt it so much in his heart that it was Biggie. Now, to go back to that, that mm-hmm. uh, Johnny Hangman or whatever that guy's name is or whatever, yeah. that's an actual New York, like, like organized crime thug right there. Yeah. And so, t- Tupac, in my opinion, he was just trying to overcompensate for that. That's why he signs to Death Row, who employed legitimate ass fucking Crips and Bloods, mostly Bloods, and aligns himself with Suge Knight. Because if you notice, and I notice this a lot too, like listening to Tupac like throughout this whole week, he's kind of very influenced by whoever he's with. Like when you see hear songs with him, like with Digital Underground, he takes on that Digital Underground persona. You hear him do songs with Snoop Dogg, like Two of America's Most Wanted. Kind of takes on that same like vibe that Snoop Dogg has. You see him. There's actually a song with him, Ice T, and Ice Cube, like in one of his earlier albums. He starts to sound like Ice T and Ice Cube or whatever. So my whole point is, is he takes on these personas or wherever he's around. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that he didn't have his dad around in his life for yeah. like 
Well, that's another years. thing. They talked about how Suge Knight was like this big father figure type persona in his life. Mm-hmm. And he kind of didn't want to disappoint him. Like, that's why he would always refer to him as like, like, you're the godfather. Like, you know, you're the, you're the, you're in charge of this. I'm just like your sidekick. Mm-hmm. And, um, I think, you know, once he started like realizing, hey, this is, I'm not a sidekick. Like, I'm just this puppet. You know, it, it goes into kind of like conspiracy number two, where it's like, Suge Knight set this whole thing up. He mm-hmm. was aware, Suge Knight was aware that he was thinking about leaving. He was aware that his like record contract was about to run up on time and it was, it was done. Like his cash cow was going to be over. No one, no one else, like Dr. Dre was already hinting at leaving. Like everyone was leaving. Potentially Snoop Dogg could have been going to jail soon. Like, yeah, it was just like all these things were kind of falling apart. And if he didn't hold on to this one, like the biggest guy, like it was all going to fall apart. And if he killed them, he had the royal, the, he owned all the rights to the music. Yeah. It was for the rest of his life. He owned, he owned everything. And, um, and that's actually kind of one of the things that like, Tupac's mom kind of believes like like Tupac's mom does not believe that Suge Knight was completely unaware of all these things, especially when you look at like the the police reports where like Suge says he was like shot like a fragment of the bullet hit his head and he was bleeding and all these things and like um, but he never went to the hospital never never received any type of medical ass- assistance at all he was just like went home refused to talk to the police refused everything. And, like, um, like days after Tupac died, like, they... He does an interview. Yeah, it's just, like, he's... With no fucking band-aids on his head. You even look at him now, like, you expect to um, see some kind of wound there. Especially a week later after getting shot. Like, I have a gunshot wound in my arm. Yeah. Um, just a real quick story. When I was in grade school, a fucking uh, 7-Eleven across from uh, Noble was getting robbed. And, uh... I guess a little shootout uh, happened and they used to let everybody out by kind of like where John's Burgers was at or is that yeah. and um, they were letting us out and a bullet hit my arm now I'm 32 years old and I think I was like 7 or 8 at the time when this hit me I still have that scar right now if you look to this day there was no fucking like gunshot um, mark on Suge Knight's head yeah. whatsoever and this was like high artillery too like I got hit with like a fucking like revolver piece and 30 some almost years later like that like that scar is still there Shug said nothing there dude and like to me that's suspicious as well yeah dude that's super suspicious um and another thing too that um you know supports that theory that you know Shug could have had him is remember i was telling you about tupac's bodyguard yeah how he went up to him earlier to tell him hey don't worry about um, riding with me and Pop. Me and Pop are going to ride alone. Yeah. You take the car behind us. That's a little odd as well. Yeah. Why would you take tell, you know, on a busy night, fight night in Las Vegas? <clears throat> that is like one of the craziest environments. You want to have your bodyguard there with you. Mm-hmm. I don't care if you're riding the car with Suge Knight or what. You want four Suge Knights with you, like when you're in at fight night in mm-hmm. Vegas. Why would you tell them that? And then also, too, it's a little funny Anybody that's ever been to Las Vegas, the fight's happening at MGM, which is at the far south side of uh, of the Strip. I guess Orlando or whatever and all his peeps or whatever, they were st- staying at the Luxor, which is almost right across from the MGM. Suge's club is about a mile and a half, two miles down the road the other direction. And apparently they go to his house, which is north 
a little bit of ways. So they're all around Las Vegas at this time. How is it funny that they go, Orlando's people, they get jumped at the MGM, or Orlando gets jumped at the MGM. They start looking around for him at the one spot they think he's going to be at the club. He doesn't see him there. And then all of a sudden, perfect timing, they see him right there at this spot. How yeah. would he know to see him right then and there at that time? Las Vegas is a very big city. Mm-hmm. It's easy to get lost in, especially on fight night. So, Suge, even though he might have been a pyro blood in Southside, Southside Crib, that's their mortal enemies. If you remember, after the L.A. riots, a lot of bloods and crips called it troops. Mm-hmm. And even, okay, you look at the Dog Pound, Daz, Corrupt, Snoop. Trady, like all these like rappers that are on death row, they're all Crips. Mm-hmm. So should it's not a life and death thing like for a, for a Crip and Blood to do business with each other. Yeah. So it's possible that he could have alluded to like, hey, we're going to be driving down Flamingo and Harmon at this time period. Yeah. Come get us. Yeah. Honestly, like that's kind of the other thing about it. Um, Orlando Anderson, the baby. Baby Lane. Baby Lane. Baby Lane's initial police report after he was jumped was uh, that Suge Knight was involved in the fight as well. Like, he was, like, beating up as well. Like, beating him up as well. And um, later on, when, like, he was interviewed again, he said, no, Suge Knight wasn't involved in the fight. He was trying to pull guys off of me. He was trying to break the fight up. Which is also kind of suspicious. Like, like that's a potential of, like, Suge Knight going to jail and Suge Knight not going to jail. Yeah. And, like, you basically got him out of going to jail. And this is supposed to be, like, your mortal enemy. Mm-hmm. Um, so, kind of one of those, like... But then eventually, that's why Shook does go to jail, because the MGM footage or whatever shows him, like, kicking him a couple times. Yeah. Which, okay, I was watching another interview with uh, BG Knockout. Now, he's a rapper. You know that uh, one song, Easy E, Dr- uh, this is uh, Dr. Dre on? That, mm-hmm. um... Uh, fucking name escapes me, but at the beginning goes, Real motherfucking G's. Mm. BG Knockout, he's one of the rappers on there. He actually grew up with uh, Orlando Anderson. Mm-hmm. And he said he actually talked to him right after he got back from Las Vegas. And he goes, yo, what's up, man? I heard you got jumped. He goes, oh, man, it's okay. Don't worry about it, man. I'm, I'm fine. And he was talking to him face-to-face. And he goes, I found it a little bit weird that, okay, Tupac punched him. And I saw, like, a little bit of a bruise on his eye or whatever. But then you see all these people jump him. He got kicked by Suge Knight, who's, like, this almost 400-pound fucking former like Los Angeles Ram defensive lineman or whatever and he's fine you know he's 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 playing on the grass with his other nephews or whatever like his rib like you expect to have some like you know bad injuries or whatever but it's like he didn't look like a person that got jumped by like five or six dudes or whatever yeah. and he goes it only takes two dudes to fuck up a dude really bad yeah and he got jumped by like five dudes or whatever yeah. and so he goes I found that kind of suspicious and that kind of plays into that theory as well yeah yeah, definitely. Um, I don't know if this one ties. Did I already talk about um, Yaki Gaddafi? Oh, I don't know uh, if no, I talked to him. No, yeah, I didn't talk about him while we were recording, but one of the outlaws. Yeah, he's one of the outlaws, and he's the one that said, like, he went up to the police and he's like, "Hey, I can identify the shooter. Like, we need to do this now." And then the police kind of like shrugged him off, and said, "Like, no, no, we got this. We'll take care of the investigation." Two months after that, found dead. So, like, I don't know if that ties into Suge or that ties into Puffy or that ties into potentially another conspiracy theory. And then, um, I don't know if you're ready for another one. 
Well, I, I kind of want to stick with this a little oh, bit. Oh, yeah, go for it. Um, so talk about Frank Alexander again. Mm-hmm. If you watch the documentary Murder Rap, um, they actually go to the, the journalist actually goes to uh, Frank Alexander's house and he completely changes his life. He goes from being like a, like a, a gangster bodybuilder or whatever to like this black cowboy. He lives like on this like cowboy ranch or whatever, yeah. in like some secluded area of San Bernardino or someplace, I believe, like that. That's sick. <laughs> it's odd. It's yeah. odd as hell. And he keep the, the reporter keeps quoting, um, you know, things from his book saying he was a fear for his life from Suge Knight after Tupac died. He, he was afraid of death row. He was getting death row threats. He goes, I never said that. Who said that? Are you getting this on camera? Okay, yeah. don't, don't record this. And during that interview, like you could tell he was scared. He kept looking over his shoulder. He goes, Hey, where are you, where are you guys from again? And then I do further up research on it. Frank Alexander was found shot to death. Really? After this interview. Now, another person that we haven't talked about is that um, that officer with the LAPD. Oh, yeah, yeah. You're talking about um, Russell Pulley? Or Pulley? Pool. Yeah, Pool? Russell Poole. He takes over. He gets the, He's a, the initial LAPD officer, I guess, that gets this investigation. And there's all sorts of mishandling of this because, um, which will probably lead into one of the other conspiracies, um, the Las Vegas Police Department and the LAPD. He investigates both police departments. Yeah. yeah. Um, they're kind of like saying, ah, oh, don't worry about solving this. Like, it's just one of those rappers. We, we don't care about yeah. solving this and this. And he goes, no, this is a citizen. We need a free, we need to fucking find justice for this. Yeah. And so he starts finding out that there was death row, um, police officers with the LAPD working for death row. Yeah. And so he's finding, he's finding all this corruption going on. And so he's doing all this investigation. He, he researches the Biggie murder as well and he gets all this evidence and whatnot. And then to fast forward through his story, he does all these interviews. You can look it up too, like on YouTube or whatever. He's like the guy, like the, the you know, Tupac and Biggie murder expert. Yeah. He goes to present some new evidence at some sheriff's office. And all of a sudden they see the conspiracy is, is he goes in with a cup. And all of a sudden, he just has a heart attack. No family history of heart problems. He was, you know, former police officer, so he was in good shape. And so it was just like a little funny that he went in. I think it was either the Las Vegas office or the L.A. office. One of the two or whatever. But the conspiracy is is they wanted to keep this, you know, covered up. Mm -hmm. And since he was the one uncovering both uh, offices, you know, they poisoned him. Yeah, he he. Well, but a lot of the he, people that, that that are that are giving information on this, like you said, Yaki Gaddafi, uh, Frank Alexander, you know, pull the officer or whatever. A lot of these people are just turning up dead. Yeah, and he he was no, he did. Uh, I think he had like eighteen years on the force. He was a detective with the like L.A. Police Department, and then he retires. But he did say like, hey, when I was investigating this, I found a lot of traces of corrupt cops. And, like, cops that were, like, tied to, um, like, Southside Crips and, like, and so... And Mob Pyro and all that. Yeah, it's like, I could, I, we need to investigate this and, like, 
kind of got the deaf ear to, to him. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he was definitely a guy that I wanted to talk about. I'm kind of glad you talked about him. Yeah. yeah. I didn't find out about him till like today, actually. So, oh, really? Yeah. He was kind of new to me. Yeah, you watch any documentary on this, like, he's usually like the guy that pops up, like the Boy Scout police officer. Or I I actually didn't even know he was dead till you said it earlier. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, doing my research, I didn't know he was dead either. But yeah, apparently he died under, he died of, a, officially he died of a heart attack while giving a testimony. Uh, to, cause he, like, it pisses him off so much that the LAPD mishandled it, handles this, that he, re- he retires from the force. Yeah. And he quits his fucking job over this. This is how much he got invested into it. Yeah. Cause he, I guess he was told, hey, you're, you're being taken off this case. You're getting too much into it. And he goes, what are you talking about? I'm finding all these leads and all this evidence and stuff. And, cause he's get cause he, he starts to link the two murders together. And he goes, anybody else, like, you know, this would be brown, groundbreaking stuff that, you know, we can look back, back to. Yeah. And it's funny, too, because Orlando Anderson gets, you know, in a non-related incident, he dies as well. So everybody that's associated with this ends up dead. Yeah. Um, except for Shug. Except for Shug. Yeah. And Diddy. Uh, the only one, the only conspiracy theory uh, for me that's left that only ties into or to, um, to Tupac, because I have other ones, but it ties into kind of both of them. But um, the only one that's left is, I guess he had beef with, like, Jewish people. <laughs> Oh yeah, the Jew, the Jewish defense league or something yeah, like that. Yeah, and like they had sent him death threats. Him and Easy. Yeah, him and Easy. Oh, yeah, I didn't know that. Like, if you look at the Freedom of Information Act, because I actually did this, you yeah. go to the FBI's website. Yeah. Under the Freedom of Information Act, you put their name in there, and they were sending death threats that the FBI was following up with, like since from like ninety two all the way up to ninety six. Yeah. They were sending death threats to Easy and Tupac. Yeah, because the Jewish Defensive League is considered like a terrorist organization. Yeah. And they. And Dang, I thought that dog was like humping my leg. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was. Uh, that's one that I didn't do much research on because it seemed kind of like just crazy. Yeah, I was like, uh. but speaking of that, yeah, that's one of the ones that I found too. There was like a smaller conspiracy. Yeah, but I guess like going to you know linking it to the police forces or whatever during this time frame. Like, remember, like you know, Congress, like Joe Lieberman, everybody, like they were really like. Uh, Dolores Tucker, people yeah. like that. They were really like harping like on gangster rap. Kind of like how Trump and like all his like little cronies now are like, like the magic like buzzword was like, is, is terrorists or whatever. Like, yeah. oh, okay. Or legal immigrants or whatever. Like gangster rap was like the big like, political buzzword at that time too as mm-hmm. well. So there's a conspiracy that the FBI actually set this up. They conspired to, you know, have, you know, they knew that Suge Knight, he was affiliated with Mob Pyro Bloods, and he knew that their natural born enemies were Southside Crips. So they they are saying that they, in exchange for protection, which ends up being verified, that Keefe D guy, yeah, Orlando Anderson's uncle, for protection on other like uh, crimes. If you take care of this and you take care of Biggie, uh, we'll give you immunity for your other offenses. Or so, Makes sense because they wanted this gangster rap thing to die. So. Yeah, but to me, I don't think that's what happened. Yeah, I don't think so either. And the most probable thing is probably the least sensational, probably simplest explanation. It was just some straight up gangster shit. I, you know what? I feel I feel pretty conflicted about this one. I actually think that um, that maybe like those dudes like kind of had a rumor going around that 
that uh, Puffy was gonna give him a million dollars if he like if they came back with death row chains. I think Puffy kind of just said it in passing. Like like in my mind, I picture like a black like a, a club like all black and white, like very like you know bad boyish or whatever, yeah. like a very like fancy club. Puffy probably did hire like Crips as security or whatever, but it's probably just to save money because you can pay them whatever, yeah. you know, as opposed to paying like a professional security you know outfit. So he probably had them there, and he's drinking his Moet or whatever, and he's drunk. He's saying bullshit. We all act stupid. Yeah. Like, hey, yeah, I'll give you $5,000 if you get a fucking death row chain. And like I said, these are some gangster-ass motherfuckers. They're going to take you literal. Yeah. Puffy might have said that in jest. He probably doesn't even remember saying it, but they're going to take him literal. And same thing about that that quote-unquote hit that he had out for Suge Knight and Tupac. Somebody was probably talking about it. And he probably was trying to act like a little thug or gangster or whatever. And they probably overheard him saying, man, I'll give a million dollars out to anyone that kills those motherfuckers. Yeah. It was probably nothing said like official. Like it was no official like hitman contract or whatever. It's probably just something said in jest. Probably had some J-Lo lookalike little <laughs> slut to the side of him or whatever. And he was probably just trying to show off like he's some big gangster baller yeah. or whatever. And he probably said that. But this Keefy D guy who's doing security for Puffy probably took him literally. Yeah. And was like, okay, I'll remember that. Well, yeah, I mean, that's how I think it happened. I think he, like, there was that, like, Puffy said this. And so, like, they wanted to kind of do it. But then the Orlando Anderson incident sped everything just up. fucking blew everything out of proportion and said, like, fuck it. This is the night. We're going to do it tonight. We're going to go kill him tonight. And so I think that's what happened. And, like, do I think that the police department has something to do with it? I think the police department was kind of like, fuck it. Like, they, these are two, like, this, this is, like, a bunch of, like, gangster shit. We don't really need to solve this. Like, yeah. screw it. Like, they got what they deserve. Yeah, like that racist notion. Like, okay. Yes, I think that this is a really, like, kind of racist time period in America. I mean, when isn't there a racist time period in America? <laughs> but this is kind of like the OJ trial era, mm-hmm. you know, just every, that's still in the back of people's minds. The LA riots are still in the back of people's minds. There is this very, like, police versus black people type mentality that's going around. And then Tupac didn't have the most pro-police music out there so like i could see their like lack of interest in trying to solve this well like i said dude like one of his earlier charge charges like just a few months before he died almost a year ago before he died was him getting charged for shooting at two off-duty Atlanta police officers so police officers i mean rightfully so they're gonna look out for their own you know so yeah of course i can see that like oh we're gonna drag our feet trying to solve this crime or whatever so yeah and it makes sense too from this standpoint, and I was kind of like on that like uh, bandwagon of like, oh, Suge might have had him killed. I think Suge, he's smart. He wants to portray like this big tough guy, untouchable, like you know, big bad blood or whatever. But he knew because he says in that interview a week later, if he knew who killed Tupac, he still wouldn't say anything because he knows if he says something, he's going to be labeled a snitch. Yeah. And it makes sense, too, like, even if he is having other people killed that might, you know, put it out there who actually killed Tupac, like, you know, Frank Alexander or whatever. It makes sense that he would try to cover that up because it's street justice. Mm-hmm. You don't want to be labeled a snitch. You don't want to be labeled a rat. It makes them look bad because, yeah, Crips and Bloods might have a beef, but they're not, both of their natural enemies is the police. Yeah. So if you go running to them... You're, you're the lowest of low at that point. Yeah. 
It's like that Robert De Niro um, thing in Goodfellas, like where he tells uh, what's his name? He's just like, remember two things: something, 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 and don't rat on your friends. Yeah. It's probably one of those little because, like you said. They were all into all those movies, like The Godfather, The Untouchables, Goodfellas, and stuff like well, that. Tupac was definitely into that. Like, well, Shook too. And Shook too, yeah. Yeah. I did want to like kind of fast forward to Tupac or to Biggie's. Oh, yeah, we're gonna talk about him too. Huh? Yeah. I, actually, I don't have that much on his because I feel like his is a little more like open and close. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I will say this: uh, Tupac's dad said like one of the first people that reached out to him was Biggie and saying like, hey, I'm sorry what happened to Tupac. If there's anything I can do for you, let me know. I'm here for you. Like, that guy was like a brother to me. And that's the thing too, like I, like, as I matured or whatever, I started having more respect for Biggie. Like, you can tell, like, you can't really find any direct disses towards Tupac. Yeah, there might be something subliminal and you can't blame him. If someone said they, they fucking slept with my wife or my girlfriend or whatever, oh my god, like, I would not have the patience that Biggie had. Even Jay-Z talked about it too. Like, yo, man, you need to write a diss song back to yeah. Tupac. And I think even Jay-Z had like a diss back to Tupac too. And he had nothing to do with it. But like, he was just like that, like involved with Biggie. Like, hey, man, we need, you need to respond back. If you don't, I will. Like even Bob D, like a lot of people do because they felt like, you know, Tupac was crossing that line, you know? Yeah. And. I gotta give it up to Biggie. Like even in the interview he did right after Tupac died, he was like, "You know what, man? I, you know, I never would wish death upon anyone. I know we were going through some stuff, but at the end of the day, I was hoping we would patch it up." And like you could tell, like when yeah. somebody's lying, and when somebody is giving you something like a heartfelt truth. And Biggie, he wasn't an actor. You know, he was just a regular. He was a regular ass dude. He tried to portray himself as a gangster. He, and he wasn't. definitely tried to portray himself as a gangster. Like he wasn't. He was a good boy. He was a mama's boy. His mom was a teacher. Mm-hmm. You know, like one of the things that like kept popping up was like when people asked him, asked his mom, like, "Hey, so like, uh, you know, he makes it sound like you guys are really broke when you guys were growing up." He made it sound like he grew up in like a shed and he was broke all the time. It was like, is any of this true? And, and there was, was no food on the table. Yeah. And so she's just like, no, it's not true. Like, like, I think he wanted to portray more of like a character, a character, like rags to riches type mentality. Mm-hmm. The reality is he went to a, a private school. He was like, his mom's a school teacher. He was like, he lived a very like middle class mm-hmm. life, you know, like, um, he, he worked as a grocery, grocery store, like bagging boy, you know, like even the people that worked there, like the, one of the other bag boys is now, he's like a manager there. And he was saying like, dude, he was like the nicest guy. Like, mm-hmm. like there's rumors that he used to sell drugs across the street, like at a barber shop or something like that. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, like no one ever really saw him do that. Like, <laughs> it's just like, he wanted to live that like gangster mentality. Like he was a really good writer, but you know, like like any good author like you know just because you're writing it doesn't mean it's gonna sell yeah it's just like he's 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 a better storyteller and not necessarily the stories were about him but it was like about the things that he wanted to like like write about like that was the story that he was trying to like convey like to to try to tell and so like um and stuff that he saw too yeah he did yeah i mean he grew up in brooklyn like it was still yes and to, to me, I'm, the, the best analogy I would put it as is like me and you, we're two East Side boys. Yeah. Like, we're, we're, we are from the hood. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, we still live on the East Side or whatever. Like, 
we if we were to ever have like rap careers, like I'm sure we would have some like hood stories to tell. Yeah. Are we gangsters though? No. Yeah, no. We're I mean, both college graduates and shit. Like, we, we, but we both definitely know the ugly side of the hood, and but at the same time, we're not really in it. Like, no. we, you know, like yeah, I, I could see where he's coming from on, on this. Yeah. Like, when I was the more research I did on it, I was like this guy was like the most mellow ass dude, and like the only thing he really seemed to have trouble with, like he had women issues, I guess, like his first daughter, and then like Faith Evans, like he kind of had like women issues. And at the same time, like, the more I, like, studied him, like, the more I'm like, dude, I can relate to this guy way more than I can relate to Tupac. Like, uh-huh. it made me, like, switch a little bit of, like, my... Respect. My respect to, like, things like that. Especially when I found out that, like, the first person to call his dad was, like, was Biggie and be like, yo, like... Because not a lot of people knew who Tupac's dad was. It was just, like, that was a childhood friend of his, so, like, he knew who his dad was, so he, like, called him up. And so, like, you know... Yeah, because Tupac is from Brooklyn, too. You know yeah, that? Yeah, they're both, like... Born in Brooklyn. Born in Brooklyn. So, like, that whole thing is, like, kind of like uh, like these untold stories that people were just... I had a different... I had a different idea of what both of these guys were before I started doing the research on them. Mm-hmm. And I actually didn't even know his mom was a school teacher up until, up until this point. So, mm-hmm. like, you know, I don't know if... Like I just want to get into like his murder really quickly now because his murder is a little more open and shut. There's a lot less conspiracy theories tied to his. And for his, this kind of closes the door for me on the conspiracy that Suge um, had Tupac killed because a lot of this is in retaliation to Tupac's murder. And there's some there's some stuff out there that's saying, oh, it's just Suge masterminding this to make it look like it was some street level stuff when it was really him or whatever. It's like a red herring or whatever. Yeah. But at the same time, Suge's not that smart. Yeah, I and, think I honestly think that Tupac's murder was just a fluke. Like it was just like gangsters trying to like he got involved in some gangsta ass shit. Like he was in the middle of some gangsta ass shit between some Bloods and Crips, and then th- this is the result of it because after Tupac's death, um. There was like a bunch of retaliation in, in Compton because that's where uh, Orlando Anderson was from. There's Southside Crips and then there's a Mob Pyru Bloods. And after that, there was a bunch of Crips that died at the hands of like some Mob Pyru Bloods. And going back to what I was talking about, this leads into uh, Biggie's murder. Uh, Death Row had a lot of off-duty police officers that would work yeah. and for Death Row. And one of them, I wish I would have wrote their names down, but uh. two of them. Is it David Mack? Oh, yeah, David Mack, and then there was another guy, his partner, actually. You know, when they did their 9 to 5 as cops, they were yeah. partners. But that night, they worked for Death Row, and they lived that, like, uh, Corleone lifestyle or whatever. Yeah. I and think it was David Mack and Eugene Deal were, like, the two yeah. guys. Yes, I'm glad so. you wrote that down. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but, so, they, I guess one of them had, like, a shrine to Tupac in his room or whatever. Really? And so I guess what has come out later on is, is there's a third guy who actually was the trigger man for this. Um, something, something Mohammed or whatever. Yeah. I got his name on here somewhere. Yeah. I'll find it eventually. I'll keep looking down, but okay. Go back to Russell pool. That, that cop. So he re he finds out all this. He's like, what the hell? Why do we have fucking LAPD officers working for death row? Where there's drugs, there's all sorts of crime going on or whatever. You know, how, how is this happening? Yeah. And he starts researching it and he goes, 
it's funny, the night of the, um, what was it? The Soul Train Music Awards. Yeah. Both of those officers put in leave that day. Or that, that, that yeah. week, actually. And then... David Mack and and Eugene Deal, right? Yeah, that sounds right. And they're friends with Amir Mohammed. Amir who, Mohammed, who's a known hitman in L.A. Yes. So, so what happens is, is Biggie's at the Soul Train Music Awards, and the FBI is watching him. Mm-hmm. And this is what Valletta Wallace is saying. So we know that the FBI is watching Biggie or whatever. Because they think at this time they think Bad Boy had something to do with you know two box murder too, and so they're watching him, and then all of a sudden they stop watching him. And the theory is that you know there was also FBI agents, local FBI agents working for Death Row as well. And so David, the the theory is by uh, Russell Poole is David Mack and their associates they pull back their surveillance, which allows Amir Mohammed to go up to Biggie's uh, security guard. And say, hey, hey, how can I get in there? I'm a fan. I want to meet Biggie or whatever. He goes, nah, man, you need, you need to back up, man. You need to back up. And all of a sudden, you just see, because I guess this award show was happening at the Peterson um, Museum. Yeah. And I didn't know this, but I actually have been there. And there's that there's like a memorial, and I didn't know what it was for. And I remember seeing, I was like, wow, there's like a lot of Biggie posters right there. And that's like, there's still like people who put like candles out for a Biggie right there. Yeah. At that very spot. And I was like, that's weird. Why would they have like... It's right by like that Bernie Sanders cafe they have there too. <laughs> it's weird. So anyways, um, there was all this this heavy police presence, heavy FBI presence. And then Biggie's bodyguard and one of the documentaries says, yeah, all of a sudden like it just... Everything just disappears. There's no more police officers. Yeah. There's no more, you know, FBI vans. He goes, I'm from the hood. I know what an FBI van looks like. Everything just disappears. Yeah. And then all of a sudden... I see a car pull up, a black SS Impala pull up to the side of me, and I see that same Nation of Islam motherfucker pull up to me, pull up to the car, and start shooting. That was one of the things that set it off. It was like he was wearing a bow tie and he was wearing a suit. And so, yeah, go ahead. And that's the that's the Amir Muhammad guy. Mm-hmm. And actually, one of the eyewitnesses IDs him. That's the guy, like Amir Muhammad. Yeah, the it was guy. the bodyguard. Yeah. And he says, the police to this day still have not interviewed me. And he goes, and the- Stephen Katz was the lead detective. Mm-hmm. On that, Stephen Katz uh, never followed up on it, and then when uh, that was brought up in a court case, because I think it, like uh, Biggie's mom was like suing the police department. Mm-hmm. Um, Stephen Katz said he uh, lost most of the evidence, or like some of the evidence was mishandled, so it couldn't even be used anymore. So like, yeah, there's de- I feel like that one. There's only one conspiracy theory in this one, and it's like the. The Stephen Katz detective working with uh, the Eugene Deal. Uh, oh no! Mack. Sorry, sorry. Uh, Eugene Deal is the guy that IDs Amir Muhammad as as the shooter. Oh, okay. Yeah, sorry. I wrote yeah, it down. I know. I know. There's a there's a partner, but he's less. But the David Mack or whatever, he's friends with that Amir Muhammad. Yeah, David Mack is friends with Amir Muhammad. And so Biggie's uh, bodyguard, they're interviewing him. That same documentary, Murder Rap. Um, the interviewer is like, Hey, I got a, a, a list of people, um, that, you know, were suspects in this, but they never followed up with them. He goes, can you ID one of them? Or can you, can you pick out, um, pick them out from this, uh, picture lineup or whatever? And he's like, yeah, man, I never forget a face. And he like death stares like the interviewer and goes, I always remember a face. 
and he shows him the, the picture or whatever. And at this time, Russell Poole, he's like, yeah, Amir Mohammed was there, da, 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 da. And he shows him a picture and he has like this picture of like four or five dudes. And he goes, oh yeah, that's that guy right there with the peanut head, mm-hmm. the receding hairline or whatever. Yeah. That's him. That's him right there. And then like the documentary cuts out and he goes, he just ID'd who Russell Poole pointed out was Amir Mohammed. Uh-huh. And he goes, has anybody, in the interview goes, has anybody ever showed you these pictures before? And he goes, no, nah, this is the first time I'm seeing this or whatever. And so the interviewer, he goes back to Biggie's mom, uh, Valletta, and he goes, yeah, the bodyguard for Biggie just, he ID'd Amir Muhammad, who Russell Poole has been following up with. Yeah. And he goes, and he goes, and he goes, LAPD have, haven't done anything with this case since. But right now we have substantial evidence of an actual eyewitness who can pinpoint this guy at the scene of the murder the day of this happened. Yeah. Apparently, the bullets that were used on Biggie were so rare that, like, they could only be traced back to two places. And, like, to so you could see who the owners of, like, who was buying these bullets. David Mack was one of the people that were buying those bullets. Oh, yeah. So, like... You know, that case against those two guys should have been really a really good case. And especially, like, a guy linked so close to the murder owns the same bullets that killed Biggie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That nothing was followed nothing up Nothing was ever followed up on with those guys. Mm-hmm. And I could do- totally see how, like, there was a, like, a Suge Knight hiring these guys. Well, yeah, if, he, if Suge Knight is your boss at your second job or whatever, yeah. your night job or whatever... And you're over here trying to portray this night, this, uh, this persona as a, as a gangster or whatever. You're going to want to, and you have a shrine to Tupac in your garage. Yeah. That's creepy. Could, I didn't know that. Yeah. And like I said, if you go back to, um, earlier in the podcast where, you know, the big conspiracy was, or everybody thought, oh yeah, Biggie must have had something to do with the murder or whatever. Then of course you're going to call off all your police friends saying, Hey man, hey, let's just back up off this or whatever. There, there, ain't, there ain't nothing here or whatever. Because they linked David Mack at the um, at the scene as well, mm-hmm. uh, doing security there. Yeah, and so he they actually know he was there at that yeah, time. He was definitely there. So it would have took nothing to say, hey, "Hey guys, don't worry about this. Go get some donuts or whatever. Like it's nothing or whatever." And David Mack actually drove a black Chevy Impala. Like yes. that was his car. Yes. So black Chevy Impala owns the same bullets. Was at the location. Let's not follow up on it. It was just like, what the fuck? Why aren't you following up on your biggest lead? Yeah, Biggie's fucking own bodyguard IDs your friend Amir Mohammed yeah. out of a picture of like seven other people he's never seen before in his life. Yeah. To me, come on, man. It's pretty crazy, man. Um, so yeah, that's the biggest. That's why I didn't want to spend that much time on Biggie because I feel like there's really only one mm-hmm. really big conspiracy involving him. And I feel like it's just bad police work and like corrupt police, you know. So, I and I, know. I mean, and I can totally see it being a case of, well, that just took two, that just took, took out two of our biggest problems, you know, yeah. gangster rap. Because like that, like I said, that was like the hot button issue at the time, you know. You had all these, both Democratic and Republicans, you know, like in Senate, like that was a hot button issue at that time. It was like gangster rap, you know, they, they talk bad about women calling bitches and hoes. You know, they talk about killing police officers or whatever. Like that was the big, the big problem. You know, you didn't, they didn't think anything of it. Like, oh, okay, that sucked. That gets rid of two of our big problems right there. That'd be like the equivalent of like, uh, for somebody like a Trump supporter, like, you know, they find out one of El, like El Chapo dies or something like yeah. that. Like, they're not going to care about that. Like, yeah. like, it's just like, whatever, like good riddance kind of thing. Yeah. 
Dude, I agree. I think that the police department just didn't care about this case. They were just like, whatever. Good riddance. And the sad thing about it is, is you look at the two individuals who died. Yeah. Neither one of them, like you said, neither Tupac nor Biggie were actual gangsters or true criminals. Yeah. I mean, yeah, Tupac, he was out on bail for sexual assault. But at the same time, we don't know if like that actually happened or not. Yeah. Because I don't know, that's like a hot button topic right now. Like every every time I turn on the TV, somebody else, like Matt Lauer, fucking Harvey Weinstein, fucking Kevin Bacon, I don't know. Alex Trebek. Alex Trebek no, too? Okay, yeah. Fuck. <laughs> He's Canadian. Can they, no, okay, Alex Trebek did not touch nothing. He didn't touch he didn't no touch cooter. Him. No cooter was touched in yeah. Jeopardy. But I mean, I know it's a hot button topic and you kind of always want to tend to believe the victim, but at the same time, he's a, he was a celebrity. He's a good looking guy. I mean, you look in Tupac's eyes, he had like the most gorgeous eyes and smile or whatever. Yeah. Like, he was a chick magnet, you know what I'm saying? I don't think he would ever have to, especially someone that already gave him head. Like, I don't think it would take much for them to sleep with him. I think, it, I think a lot of that was just like, him trying to live up to that gangster persona mm-hmm. that he's been building up the character that he's been playing for a long time and it's like but my point is is like neither him nor Biggie were these actual gangsters or whatever yeah no I don't I don't believe it especially Biggie like Biggie he was such a good guy yeah he, everyone that interviews anyone that knows him is like yeah he was a really nice guy like he was not this gangster mm-hmm. like he may have been selling drugs but even that is just like we don't really know because like what separates the line of like fact and fiction it's like you know just because you wrote lord of the rings doesn't mean you actually like went to mordor like yeah he's just a good author like he's just good at writing these things you know like uh, <laughs> that was a good fucking analogy yeah by the way. yeah no i mean just like he's just a really good writer and uh-huh. like he he's he convinced people that he was this gangster when in reality you know he grew up in a middle class home in brooklyn like mm-hmm his mom was a teacher and like he just had a decent christmas every time but Mm -hmm. but he was a really good author so like he could he could sell you on these ideas and like it's a shame um i don't know i have nothing really no other conspiracy theories there's only one and it's like the elephant in the room conspiracy Mm -hmm. and that's that they didn't die and that like tupac didn't (laughs) die and he's like in puerto rico or like cuba now yeah 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 Cuba. I heard that too. Yeah, he's in Cuba because okay, his mom Machiavelli Island or something. Yeah, his mom was a Black Panther, and okay, so he had all of these like aunts, quote unquote aunts and uncles or whatever, like Matulu Shakur and all these other whatever Shakurs or whatever. Because uh-huh. Tupac's real name isn't Tupac Shakur, mm-hmm. like that isn't his birth name. It's Lassane Crooks, mm-hmm. and it gets changed when you know his mom converts or whatever, and like they because he's actually named after. Uh, um, a Peruvian uh, uh, no it's like a native Peruvian like uh, revolutionary or whatever there's a big whole backstory on it we can get into it another time but whatever but um, yeah like one of his like quote unquote um, aunts or whatever like she escaped America and went to Cuba for criminal asylum because uh, the United States wants to prosecute her for killing like a federal agent or something like that. Uh-huh. So he has an aunt living in uh, Cuba under asylum, asylum status. And the, the ridiculous conspiracy is that he, you know, faked his own death and moved to Cuba. 
Yeah. To get away from everything. So that's definitely the most outlandish theory. So it really must be it's not how Biggie's there too or whatever. Yeah. I, I heard that and I was just like, eh, I'm going to go ahead and just call bullshit on those. Mm. Um, but Dave Chappelle had that really funny sketch where he was still writing music. <laughs> <laughs> George W. You probably never, never heard of him. him. <laughs> ran for Congress back in Oakland. <laughs> Yeah, like, <laughs> I don't know, like, yeah, growing up, that was definitely the theory that I heard a lot as a kid, I'm like, oh, Tupac's still alive, man, he's still alive. Yeah, the seven-day theory, he's going to come back in seven years or whatever. Yeah. Like, and I think a lot of that, like, when you look back at those rhymes or whatever, and he's, like, talking about coming back, like, getting shot and resurrected or whatever, because I guess the theory was he's going to come back in seven years. Well, it's been almost 20 years now. Yeah. Tupac still hasn't came back. Well, that's actually why I wanted to do it. It was 2007 for Biggie. It's 2017. Mm-hmm. Or sorry, it was 1997 for Biggie. Yeah. It's 2017 now. So I was like, you know, it's nice, nice 20-year anniversary now. Look in there. Yeah. But yeah, so I think a lot of it, though, just is, gets chalked down to ignorance. Like when people make those like conspiracy theories... Tupac is just talking about the first time he got shot in New York, like yeah. when he got robbed or whatever. Like he's not talking about like getting shot in Las Vegas and getting resurrected and coming back as Machiavelli or whatever. Yeah. Like, he's talking about when he got shot and robbed in New York. Yeah. I think a lot of both of them, I mean, both of them, like the Ready to Die album and the Life After Death album, like you're no one till someone kills you and like mm-hmm. those concepts. It's like, well, actually, I would say Biggie was constantly obsessed with death. Like, Biggie had like Both this. Both of them were. Yeah. But I, I, every Biggie album was death, birth related. Like he had like this yang yang effect in every album where it was like, you know, a baby on one album cover, like I'm going to die on the next. It's like a hearse in the next one. He kind of had like this weird thing where like he had like obsession, with, obsession with like, you know, the birth of his daughter and the, the death of like of himself and like how like, you know, it was kind of weird. But, uh, and Tupac did too, but Biggie definitely played that card a lot more. And someone put it pretty well on a video I saw. They were just like talking about, like, you look at all these rappers that are all obsessed with like Scarface, The Godfather, or whatever. And a lot of what they're talking about is just a lot of these gangster movies. Yeah. And, and all of these gangster movies, there's all these sensational deaths. Like, even going back to the original, like, 1930 Scarface, like, there's this elaborate ass, like, death scene or whatever and it's like the climax of the movie uh fast forward to al pacino's scarface the biggest the most elaborate scene of that movie is him at the end like where he's like high off of his mind on cocaine and he's getting invaded by these colombians or whatever exactly and then he gets shot off his balcony or whatever like a lot of that is just like them recreating that so a lot of to me that's what a lot of those like like, when they're talking about life and death or whatever, like, a lot of that is just that, you know? When they're rapping about, like, you're nobody till someone kills you. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And, and like I said, uh, both of them, both of them are really good writers. They're very poetic in the way that they speak. And, you know, you don't have to, he kills off the, the main character in his, in his, uh, in Life After Death. Mm-hmm. And so, like, he wasn't necessarily talking about himself, like, not necessarily talking about himself in any of the albums. Mm-hmm. But it was definitely the, the persona that he wanted to portray. And then for Tupac, it was like the same thing. You know, it was influenced by all these authors that he was reading. Yep. And like, he also wanted to portray those, those like, like, what if like, there was a hip hop version of all these like, great, like, literal, literally, literal, literal geniuses. Literal geniuses, yeah. 
sorry, it's kind of late, but yeah, so like, <laughs> yeah, like, they were both way ahead of their time. It's a shame that they died, but that's it. That's I'm. I, I don't want to say I'm glad that they're dead, but <laughs> but uh, I will say that there is something there is something weird about people that that die like in their prime. Like you look at like a Kurt Cobain or something, Jimi Hendrix, Jimi Hendrix, and like they never put out that shitty album that you just wanted to like hate them for. Yeah, and like you look at their contemporaries, you know, you look at a Nas, like Nas is like just not like kids just don't feel Nas anymore, you know. No. And even though like to me, in my opinion, Nas and Tupac were like equally as good, but Nas eventually like did albums that were kind of like yeah. trying to fit into the times, and like you know now we write songs about his daughter growing up and like being a teenager and stuff like that. Like it's just like mm, I don't know, I don't know, man. Yeah, and same thing with like. You know, if you look at a Pearl Jam or something, Pearl Jam was almost viewed as like Nirvana's equivalent. But now it's like, yeah, they read a lot of like those like grandpa rock songs. And, like <laughs> they're up there with Creed. Kind yeah, of. it's just very like, oh god, like would Nirvana be there right now as well? And, yeah. Like, you know, I don't know. Yeah, and like it, like I was saying earlier, it's 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 one of those. It's a sad story, but it's like one of those like stories that you know, like a Scarface, like a Goodfellas, like these stories never end well. Like the ending of every Godfather, like always ends very horrible. You know, either Vito dies, Michael dies, like somebody dies. You know what I'm saying? Like the, the, your main character is going to die because they live this reckless life or whatever. And it's just, it, it makes for good entertainment, unfortunately, but yeah. That's the way a cookie crumbles when you live that life, I guess. Hey, yeah. sometimes it's cool. <laughs> but anyways, you got any more you want to That's about? pretty good, man. I feel like that was a pretty decent episode there. I mean, you know what? To be honest with you, I'm going to have to take another shower, man. Because it's like, <laughs> I feel like I'm talking about like the death of my grandpa and shit, too. Yeah, it's, like, it's pretty depressing, but yeah. yeah, I don't know. Rest in peace, Tupac. Rest in peace, Biggie. Music lives on forever. Yeah. That's it. Alright, fine. We can <laughs> <laughs> figure out how to end these. Yeah, we're gonna do it. What was it like? Go suck a dick or something like yeah. that. What was it? You gotta suck on that. Suck on that? Oh, yeah. Nah. But, anyways, everybody, hope you enjoyed our show. Make sure you like and support us by going to iTunes and subscribing. Share our links. Tell your friends. Tell your mama. Tell your relative. And tell your boo boo. Yeah. Okay, tell your dog. Tell your dog. D O W G. But with that, everybody. Good night. Good night. Hug the ones you love. Strong. So when it was like he got shot, I was just more like again. 
You know what I'm saying? He always getting shot or shot at. He gonna pull through this one again, make a few records about it, and it's gonna be over. You know what I'm saying? But when he when he died, I was just like, whoa. You know what I'm saying? Kind of took me by. I mean, even though we was going through our drama, I would never wish death on nobody, you know what I'm saying? Because ain't no coming back from that. So it kind of turned me down a little bit. But at the same time, you know, you got to move on. You know, I felt for his moms, for his family or whatever. But, you know, things got to move on, you know? <laughs>